This is the John Oakley Show podcast. On this matter of the whole affair, uh, it has left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, and it continues to fester. I mean, as much as the liberals would want it to go away, and, uh, you know, some even offering that, well, nothing much more to see here, let's move on. I didn't want to move on. I wanted to drill down on it uh, even further because I, I think there are important implications in this whole thing, as does Jonathan Kay. He's a Canadian editor for Quillette, and uh, in a series of tweets yesterday, uh it seemed to me he found several aspects profoundly unsettling. Let's find out what those are. Jonathan, good to have you on The Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Oh, thanks for having me. So tell me, uh, you've articulated it here in a series of tweets yesterday. I guess you were kind of musing uh, with your device. and It's rather instructive. There are so many components to this. So what do you find the significant implications in the whole affair? So, yeah, cause I, I, I tweeted about this, but I was sort of surprised it got so much attention because you know, this news is, I guess, it's like five or six days old. Uh, but what I did is I explained I was on this long drive, and I actually, like, listened to the 63-page ethics report. I had it narrated by my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took a couple of hours. And I actually would suggest, whatever, which, however people think about the election, just, like, read the report. Um, it's, it's actually quite astonishing because the report is presented as a story, as a narrative of, of, of everything that happened and how the SNC scandal evolved. And it's actually, in and of itself, like a, a very interesting story. Um, and as you listen to the story, and I guess this is what motivated me to tweet about it, is like you start, at least in my case, to, to just feel so angry on behalf of former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould, uh, who, of course, was at the center of this, and the way she was treated and the way the Liberal government essentially ganged up on, on their own cabinet minister. Like it was, I, I'm, you know, I've been following the news for a couple of decades. I'm not, I'm not sure I've ever seen a story where someone within cabinet is ganged up on by, by the prime minister's office, and I guess by the prime minister himself indirectly in, in this way. It's, it's a stunning narrative and a fascinating story. Yeah, in effect, uh, I liken it to perhaps being invited in to see how the sausage is made. Yeah, uh, and, uh, you know, there's, conversations, texts, uh, emails. And actually, this is one of the stunning things, is as the story goes on, you just can't believe how much access everyone at SNC-Lavalin seemed to have to everyone in the prime minister's office and to the finance minister, um, and in some cases, I guess, indirectly to the prime minister himself. It's, like, it's almost like they had the entire PMO on retainer, as if it were a law firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was act, like putting aside all the analysis about whether Trudeau violated the uh, ethics provisions, I was just stunned. Like, how is it that a company, and this is a company that has been alleged to have, uh, to have done really terrible things. I mean, this is, this is why this story is happening, because of, of these, uh, these, these criminal allegations. And... And the fact that they have this incredible access, uh, it must be maddening to, to, to small business owners who are, you know, spend every day struggling with regulations and trying to get responses from, from people who work for the government. The fact that this one company that's been accused of serious crimes, uh, you know, they've got everyone in the government on auto dial. It's, it was crazy. Yeah. Well, they got them to move uh, mountains in effect, or at least attempting to, uh, despite being implored not to go there by Jody Wilson-Raybould. Who, uh, it's interesting because you say this early in your series of tweets, these liberal dudes always kept pretending that they just wanted to make sure she had enough, quote, information, end quote, as if she were a law student, not the AG of a G7 nation. It was really very dripping in condescension, wasn't it? It was very condescending, and it was very, 
it was passive aggressive um, because they, which to my mind almost it makes it worse. Like I don't know how um, how the attorney general actually withstood this day after day. Um, you know, like a typical thing was you know for the forty seventh time. Uh, Morneau or Butts or, or somebody else would go and say, well, we just want to make sure you have all the information and we can find a solution. Now, solution, this, this term appears dozens, if not hundreds of times in the report. Um, and by solution, they meant we have to take care of SNC-Lavalin and give SNC-Lavalin what they want. And, they can, you know, it's always, how can we get the solution? The solution, do you have the information you need to get to the solution? And by information, they meant... You know, do you have the talking points that you're going to use and we're all going to use when we get to our preferred alternative, which, of course, the attorney general just refused because she was principled about it. Um, but the overall effect of it was, as you say, completely condescending. They were treating her like she was some law student who didn't understand the issues at stake here. You know, there's, there's one episode that's related where the finance minister uh, is, meets her informally in the halls of parliament and says, you know, I really don't think you have the information you need to appreciate the economic effects uh, that would occur in Quebec if, uh, if this company were, were subject to, to criminal conviction. Uh, you know, you need to study the information. You need to, and, and at one point, the Attorney General says, like, keep talking about information. Have you done, you know, you're in the finance ministry. Have you done a study of the economic effects? That there's, uh, you know, okay, show me the data. You know, I'm sure you have hundreds of staff working on it. And he said, no, I haven't done the study. I have no information for you. Like, I mean, I don't know how she didn't punch him in the face. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Like, how many women in Canada have had this experience? And it's not just one guy. It's not just Morneau or Boston. It's just like day after day of this relentless drip, drip, drip of these, these people calling her on the phone, treating her like a five-year-old, um, all in the service of what was clearly a politically motivated campaign to, um, to give, you know, soft treatment to a politically connected firm that had rammed through a purpose-built piece of legislation on short notice. You know, in a way, I feel, I, I feel some understanding for SNC-Lavalin. You know, this legislation, they didn't write it themselves, but it was rammed through for their, for their, clearly for, for their benefit. And then it comes time to, to apply the legislation to their benefit, to give them a deferred prosecution agreement. And then, you know, the Attorney General says, no, well, I'm going to stick by the, the professionals in the, uh, in the prosecution office who don't think it's an, an appropriate use of the DPA. And they freak out. They say, wait a sec. You know, everyone told us we'd get this. What's, what's going on? And so they, they start calling their friends in government and say, hey, who's, who's this attorney general of yours? You know, and no surprise, a couple months later, she's gone, right? Mm. Demoted to Veterans Affairs. I mean, you've essentially got SNC-Lavalin dictating who's in cabinet. Yeah. And I don't know how this isn't a bigger scandal after reading the ethics uh, commissioner's report. Well, to his credit, again, Jonathan Kay is with us, Canadian editor for Quillette, and we're just uh, unpacking again through the chronology that was offered by the ethics commissioner. Uh, it was 63 pages in length. You got it on your audio device. Uh, I read it chapter and verse as well, and uh, so I share similar sentiments. And I guess the takeaway, there were several uh, dimensions here that we're exploring, but geez, you know, uh, perhaps uh, one of the great indignities was they decided they would do an end run around her and uh, bring in... Uh, I guess it was the former chief justice of the Supreme Court or someone like her, but it was already uh, all preordained and it was just going to be kind of a plug and play or a turnkey operation where the AG would have to come in and rubber stamp what the PMO had already orchestrated. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that was quite, quite the uh, proposal where it was suggested to, <laughs> to, to the Attorney General, Jody Wilson-Raybould, you know, clearly 
The suggestion was that she was in over her depth and don't, you know, but don't worry, we're going to bring in a real professional, you know, um, with, with, uh, Beverly McLaughlin. We're going to bring in a former Supreme Court justice. Amazingly, Beverly McLaughlin, I, only one of three former Supreme Court justices who, who were involved here, because on, on SNC-Lavalin's side, uh, they already had Jacobucci representing them, and they had a written report from Major. So there was actually three former Supreme Court justices who were either mobilized or attempted to be, to be mobilized on behalf of SNC-Lavalin. So in, in a sense, it, it extends beyond the executive and the legislature. Like to, I wouldn't say it contaminates the judiciary because these are former Supreme Court justices, and none of those three are accused of doing anything wrong. But my God, this stinks. The, the, this, the, the, the famous name-brand government players who are brought to bear so that a single company could get what it wanted is, is absolutely, absolutely shocking. And even if you vote liberal, even if you, you don't find the scandal a big deal and you vote liberal, there should be a groundswell of demand to fix this, to, to fix this hole in the system that allows operatives of a single company to, um, you know, to use the prime minister's office as their personal puppet. Yeah, and you say that when you uh, really pull back from the specifics of this case to just in general terms, I mean, uh, we lapse into banana republicanism, I guess, if uh, this is allowed to stand. Because really what's in play here, correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, they're subverting the rule of law. Well, uh, yeah, and on that point, you know, I think lawyers will enjoy reading the uh, Ethics Commission's report because especially the last quarter of it or so, there is a lot of very fine detail legal analysis about um, you know what what the law says, uh, something called the Shawcross Doctrine, which is you know, this originates in, in, in Britain, um, which defines the parameters of the Attorney General's independence vis-a-vis the rights of cabinet. A lot of that material will will primarily be of interest to um, legal scholars and lawyers, but it doesn't. But you don't have to embrace those legal conclusions. You don't even have to embrace the idea that Justin Trudeau is in violation of the ethics rules to appreciate the narrative. The narrative that the ethics commissioner wrote can be appreciated by anybody who is a layperson and just wants to hear the story of, of how this happened uh, and just the relentlessness of it. Because Trudeau and his, uh, and his minions, I mean, they could have backed off early when it was clear that, uh, that Wilson-Raybould wasn't going to relent. Um, but it just it, there was something like it didn't compute for them. Like, SNC-Lavalin was supposed to get what it wanted. It's not getting what it wanted. This might have followed for us at election time. Uh, it was just, they, they become unbelievably stubborn. And, and you would think that just from self-protection, just from the knowledge that this was probably going to be a scandal, on that cynical basis they would stop. Uh, but they really became blinkered about it. So it's a story not just about government. It's a story about human ego. Yeah, and that's the interesting aspect, too, in uh, reading all of this in detail, and then you pull back, I guess it lends greater emphasis to the idea, you know, because uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould really turned Justin Trudeau's aphorism on its ear, doing politics differently. She stood by that as a matter of integrity and all the rest, and uh, he betrayed that. And so that's the whole thing that I guess is going to continue to hound him going forward. I'm kind of curious on two points quickly here in wrapping. I mean, uh, no apology, but he takes responsibility. I mean, you laughed at that. How do you square that circle? Well, it's it's incoherent. He says, um, you know, I I accept the report, uh, but I don't agree with it. Like, how can you... The whole point of the report is saying that he broke the ethics laws and everything that happened was done for political gain and was completely inappropriate. 
to the extent you say you accept the report, it means you accept what I just said. But then to say, but I disagree with it, I'm not going to apologize, it makes a mockery of language. It's completely meaningless. Uh, you know, either go the, go the whole Jean Chrétien and just say, oh, the hell with it, I don't want to do with anything, and just <laughs> throw in the garbage. Or, you know, or, or ask Canadians for forgiveness. And by the way, if, 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 if Trudeau had apologized when this first broke and said, you know what, I went too far, I think a lot of people would have forgiven I would have forgiven him. He would have said, you know, this is politics, I was blinkered, I did a stupid thing, you know, there's this tradition in Canada that, you know, Quebec gets what it wants and this sort of thing, and, you know, look, you know, Bombardier, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of companies that have gotten softball treatment, and, I, you know, I guess I got, I thought FNC Lavalin was in that tradition, and it was stupid, and, you know, I apologized to, to my former attorney general. He didn't do that. Um, and I don't know if he's going to pay for the polls. I still think there's a good chance the Liberals are going to win government. But whoever wins, even if it's Trudeau, this has to be fixed because this, this goes beyond partisan politics. This is a problem with how politics is done in Ottawa. Well, are you surprised no heads have rolled? Well, I mean, it's weird. A head rolled, uh, you know, carry buses, but then it rolled right back yeah. because uh, he was brought in, uh, you know, for, for the election team. So, you know, it, it, a head rolled on a sort of trial basis. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, I guess uh, that head was too valuable for the Liberal Brain Trust. Um, it's, it's, it's been quite the spectacle. The boomerang kid is back in the fold. Hey, Jonathan, uh, really great to talk to you. Interesting format uh, through which you expressed yourself uh, almost in a column, but a series of tweets. Yeah, Enjoyed reading you. it. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yep. Great to have you on the show. Jonathan Kay, again, is the Canadian editor for Quillette. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 